For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we get to talk to one of the messengers, the people who help shape the way we look at the latest releases. Those that work with the media are really a key link in the information chain that starts with the creators and designers and extends all the way to every single consumer. Our guest has been inside the equipment companies, and then he worked with golf's greatest historical figures. Now he's working with the best of the best. I'm pleased to welcome my friend Dave Cordero to the range. Dave is currently the Director of Internal Communications on the PGA Tour. And Dave, it is great to talk with you once again. Hey, Ralph. Yeah, no, it makes me feel like like the old times talking to you. <laughs> well, we start every interview here on the range by looking back. When did golf enter into your life? Uh, geez. So I, um, I went to a, before graduating from um, the USC Trojans University. I, uh, I went to a, a small private Christian school in, um, LA area, a place called the Zusa Pacific, uh, university. And my roommate was a huge golfer and we used to go out to, I don't know if you've been here, there before Ralph, there's a little golf course called Doherty. It's a little nine hole little golf course, like up against the mountains there in Pasadena. And I went out and we played a couple of times and I just was in awe of just the game and how he was able to do the things he was doing. And it looked so easy, but you know, we all know it's not. And so I think that roommate, his name was Paul Bauer, uh, kind of got me into golf. And then once I started my professional career in public relations, I had an opportunity to represent a few golf clients. And so I remember going out to Riviera one year and watching the tour pros hit golf balls on the range. And it's kind of that experience, like when you first go to a baseball game and you come, you're walking up the stands and then you see the field for the first time. And it's like, Oh my goodness, this is special. I kind of had a similar moment when I saw these guys effortlessly hitting golf balls at Riviera. And I thought, man, what a cool, what a cool game. And, it was from that point on, I, I just really threw myself headfirst in, into just learning. And, and thankfully, um, because of YouTube, you were able to, you know, check out, you know, um, some tips and see some great golf coaches and instruction. Uh, but no, that was really kind of my first, uh, how do I play this game more often? Because it's really fun. And I think the thing that is really struck me today as a, you know, 40-year-old dad of three is it's not about, hey, let me go shoot a 79. Now it's more about, well, what's the company look like? Who are we playing with? And I'm going to be spending, you know, four hours or so. And just for lack of a better word, just kind of fellowshipping and hanging out with some guys, guys or gals. And I think to me, that's what makes golf uh, so special today. It's interesting that you talk about that timing because it was around that same time that you started working with media as you were still in school, working with professional sports teams. 
Uh, yeah, I was. I, you know, I had an opportunity to work for the LA Dodgers uh, for a few seasons, which was fantastic. I started off in their publications department and uh, was writing articles, you know, down on the farm type pieces. And across the hallway was the the PR team, I guess the game night media relations staff. And they just looked like they were running around with their hair on fire, you know, printing stuff out for the media. And I thought, whatever that craziness is, I want to be part of. And I ended up working in the, in the booth and, you know, meet Vince Scully and, and that kind of stuff. But that was my first taste of real public relations and how to take care of the media and get them what they want. That turned into a position at, uh, I think it was Fox Sports. I don't remember, Ralph, it was Fox Sports South at the time when they kind of had their different um, different divisions of Fox Sports. But that was out in Santa Monica. I did that for a little while and then had an opportunity to work for the LA Kings in a similar capacity with the Dodgers working in the, working in the booths and um, taking care of media and getting to meet players and interviewing. So, yeah, I, I – I knew early on that I wanted to be in sports. You know, the one piece of advice for anyone that's listening um, that isn't already in a career is, you know, just taking on a lot, you know, intern internships. I interned at, I think, five different places while I was in college. And I think that really set me off on the right foot and I knew where I wanted to go. Well, and you then after school went in, went to work with a marketing firm. That's where we first connected way long ago. <laughs> I don't even know if you remember this, but you were working, uh, doing work with Bushnell as part of the team at Brandamp. Yeah, that's that's right. And uh, back then the company was uh, called Leader Enter- Leader Enterprises, which is neither here or there. But yeah, the Brandamp is a fantastic uh, integrated marketing and, and full service PR and social media firm. Uh, out in Huntington Beach, it's really grown. And, you know, as I mentioned, when I started, I think I was the second or third employee in. And we had, yeah, Bushnell as a client, uh, Evolve Golf, uh, makers of, of golf tees and other products. Uh, we had some shaft companies. And I, I think the crown jewel was TaylorMade Golf. And that was an account I got to work on. And that probably really cemented uh, my love for golf because I, I definitely had the appreciation for the athletes. But then getting into the world of golf equipment and COR and <laughs> what, you know, how to make clubs uh, work and how to make the ball spin, that was uh, a really fantastic experience. And like I said, I think that turned not only turned me into an equipment junkie it was a bad it was bad for the the wallet because i was like i I need to i need to have these clubs i need to have these balls these shoes um so a lot of that was definitely a a very fun time you talk about that you're working with taylormade as part of the brand amp but then through time the opportunity came to actually work for taylormade and i imagine you just leaped at that yeah no you know it's funny ralph i i was actually planted i was planted in at TaylorMade as not an employee, but more of a contractor at that point. And after doing that for a couple of years, it was just one of those things. It was a natural fit. They needed um, more of a full-time person to help on their PR efforts, PR and and kind of corporate communications efforts. So that was a very easy decision for me. The folks at TaylorMade were great. And as I mentioned, the, the opportunity to work with some of the the smartest minds in golf with respect to golf equipment and, and having a chance to to play a lot of golf myself. I mean, it was definitely a, an opportunity that I definitely have fond memories of. Well, in those days, you oversaw media and PR for both TaylorMade and Adidas. 
I imagine there had to be an interesting balance for you because everybody wants to talk about clubs. Everybody wants to talk about the hard goods. But at the same time, there is a soft good story to tell that you've got to kind of get into people's ears saying, hey, this is something you really want to pay attention to. Well, I think my strategy was just to give you as many shoes as you wanted and evidence by the background there. It looks like you got quite the collection of shoes, but no, you know, it, it, it's a fair point, Ralph, when and Taylor made Adidas were together, uh, we would try to host events and, and try to package up. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of mouths to feed. I remember back in the day because you'd have the way the, the company was broken out is we, tr- we almost treated it like separate little subdivision, little sub companies. And so you have the putter guy wants to make sure the putters are getting love. Uh, you want to make sure the metal woods are getting love. Uh, you have the, the soft goods, as you mentioned, then don't forget the golf bags and, um, things of that sort. So, you know, you, you get a, a company like, or I'm sorry, you get a magazine like ESPN, the magazine or GQ on the line. And they're like, Hey, we need an item for our holiday gift guide. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta be strategic about which, uh, which product made sense at that time based on the cycle, uh, the sales cycle that we were in and, and some of the sales initiatives that were happening. So yeah, to your point, lo- lots of mouths to feed. When you're working with an equipment brand, a lot is driven off of the products that you have and then the athletes that you partner with. When you're working with TaylorMade Adidas at that time, you had both. You had fantastic products, but then you had a lot of athletes that you got to work with very closely in doing promotions and basically getting them in product on course. You know, I, I have an appreciation for companies in golf. I mean, it's not an e- it's not an easy industry to have longevity. And now certainly you have the Titleists and the Callaways and the TaylorMades, the the Pings um, and, and even the Clevelands of the world. But, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to these, these small companies. If you go to the PGA show, which I know you and I have a combined 100 times, you know, you see these little companies that are trying to make it and they're trying to establish themselves. And to your point, when you already have a fantastic uh, product to sell, and then you can marry it up with a Justin Rose or Sergio Garcia, uh, Dustin Johnson, and so on and so forth. It makes bringing the excitement uh, and bringing those products to market so much easier. Um, having you know having those heavyweights in your in your corner. So um, no, I you know that it certainly made the job a lot easier. And when you're seeing, I remember back in the day, we actually used to get a report for like airtime that the TaylorMade brand, for instance, or the Adidas brand was on the weekend telecast. And that was something that our team would look at because it was, it was uh, instant advertising for us. And I remember, I mean, you'll remember this, uh, Todd Hamilton wins the, the open championship and suddenly sales in, in the rescue club category start going up, even though he was playing a sonar tech club, but it was, you know, people see stuff on TV and if they see an athlete performing uh, Sergio Garcia at the time, Oh no, here's a good example. It was, I think it was um, JB Holmes when he first won out in Phoenix uh, he was playing a spider putter and who would have thought, I remember seeing the spider putter and thinking, okay, this thing looks very weird. Um, and it looks like a pizza box is on top of it for a head cover. But I'll tell you what, I remember that Monday morning walking in and and talking to Sean Toulon and it was the excitement in the room to see JB Holmes, who wasn't even a contracted player, but winning with the product. Uh, that's really the Holy grail when you can get guys performing, whether it be tiger performing with the club. Now, uh, Dustin Johnson, you know, there, there's a, 
there's kind of an underbelly of the golf equipment industry that pays attention to that stuff and it really moves the needle. You kind of touched on it, but I had Joel Monson on from Adidas uh, recently, and we discussed what it was like after one of the staff members wins a major, and everyone's calling up, what was he wearing? What What are these shoes? What's this sweater? Et cetera. Can you walk us through kind of what the wave of requests would be like after one of your players would get a big win? Yeah, and Joel is, uh, I consider Joel a, a good colleague, a good friend. Uh, in fact, Joel and I were playing golf out here in Florida. It was the week of the Players' Championship. And uh, the tournament had just been canceled. And so Joel and I, like, let's go play golf. And so, you know, he was he was trying to get home back to California. But we, just as a quick aside, that's when all the news was coming out about Masters is canceled mm-hmm. and NCAA championship canceled and uh, the Olympics. But so I'm sure we'll get to that here in a sec. But, you know, Joel, our experiences would be similar in that. And obviously he's on the soft goods and, and footwear side. But when I was... Uh, at TaylorMade, yeah, there was, I'd probably say five, six really close journalists uh, from Golf Digest and Golf Week and Golf WRX and some of the others that would reach out and they would need to know right away, hey, <laughs> it actually was kind of funny. It's almost like you don't talk to a pitcher when he has a no-hitter, but you got, Dustin, you got Dustin Johnson up by two going into 18 and the, the emails would start to come through, hey, we, we need to know what's in his bag. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we... It, it was a good process. We got better at it. And what we would try to do is send them in advance of even the tournament starting. Hey, here's guys that switched equipment. Here's some things to look out for. Here were the counts this week. You had 30 players in, a, in the new, uh, geez, at the time, uh, R11 or what, whatever the product may have been. And yeah, it was, I think that's what made working at TaylorMade fun was the relationships that I got to forge with these, these hardcore equipment writers. And, and then when social media really started to take off, I remember talking to, I think it was Michael Johnson or Michael Satura and they're like, yeah, the, the bosses want us to start tweeting now. <laughs> and it was like, so not only were they posting the what's in the bag to their website, but they needed to get it out to their followers right away. So, yeah, it was a process. And we would write uh, press releases right after that would essentially just be a what's in the bag feature. And, hey, Dustin Johnson shoots 10 under at the Sanderson Farms Championship playing the M1 driver and yada, yada, yada. Here's the what's in the bag. But, yeah, it was uh, – a hot commodity on Sunday afternoon. That's for sure. Well, and you mentioned, you know, the models during your years in Carlsbad, you saw the releases of the R7, R9, R11, R1, R15, Burner, RBZ, SLDR, whole lot more. Um, Spider putter. You mentioned that was the process like when you know that six months, nine months, maybe even 12 months out that you're going to be adding a new piece of tech to the world of equipment. Like, how involved do you get or when do you jump in to really start understanding this is the story I need to tell? Yeah, I think, um, again, being at TaylorMade for a number of years, you, you build relationships with the product guys and, you know, they, they start to bring you in to the strategy more or less. And I know I had an opportunity to go to a ton of strategy sessions and meetings where we would actually look at products that were coming out six months, a year in advance. And that was really fun. I think I remember talking to uh, it was either Brett Wall or Benoit Vincent back at TaylorMade and, and talking about the Rocket the Rocket Balls uh, franchise. And they were saying, hey, we don't have a name for this thing yet, but it is going so far. <laughs> and they were talking about the three wood. And so before the marketing guys even touch it and start 
you know, marketing the 17 yards longer, which was fantastic. You know, you would just start to hear what's going on. And I think from a, a media relations perspective, you have to be very disciplined to put that in it, kind of put it in a box for later. But it, you're always thinking when you're having your relationships with the media folks and understanding their editorial deadlines and when it would be a fit. And I got to a point where I was able to uh, share um, share with some of these media guys. I wouldn't say, hey, here's the product and, and here's the date. But I would say we have some stuff that's coming out that you're really going to want to make sure we get included in the December issue, for instance, or you want to post or you want to plan a trip to Carlsbad to come see us type of thing. But no, we were we were very involved and we all, uh, you know, it was all confidential um, unfortunately, it always seemed like we could never hold our embargoes. Stuff would always get out. But I guess that's the nature of, of being a sales-driven company. I mean, the sales guys or somebody would always get wind of it. Um, and uh, no fault of their own. They were just really excited. So it's still to this day, I can tell. I feel bad for the, the guy, the equipment guys, because they're trying to hold product and build excitement. And Ralph, as you know, that's kind of what the PGA show used to be, is you would show up blindly, not knowing what each company was releasing. Um, those, those days are, are long gone. Yeah, just a little bit. Although I also remember the embargoes. I remember those very well. Uh, still encounter those from time to time. 2015, you were approached with an opportunity to move across the country and go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, not the Hall of Fame for my golf, but uh, no, there was a position that opened up at the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I'll say Northeast Florida, even before I moved here, there was something about it, something really, um, something that was really, I don't know, special is not the word, but was, there's something unique about Northeast Florida. Obviously, you have uh, Ponte Vedra Beach where, where uh, the PGA Tour and, and the Players' Championship is played mm-hmm. and TPC Sawgrass. And then you have this beautiful town south that a lot of people don't talk about, but St. Augustine, one of the oldest cities in the U.S. It's this very charming uh, town right on the water and tons to do. And then it's you got the school system. It's like the best school system in the state of Florida, the county that we live in, which, you know, someone with kids, that was very attractive. Not to mention, Ralph, I had done the tailor-made bit for almost 10 years and you know, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, the constant cycle of products. It became a rinse and repeat for me, and it was something that I really liked, but I, I had felt like it had become, um, it got a little boring for me, and this was an opportunity to work directly with the president of the World Golf Hall of Fame and, and to work with uh, the crossover with the PGA Tour and to try to take the, the World Golf Hall of Fame at the time was going through a, a transition where they were taking their ceremony out of St. Augustine and starting to rotate to major championship sites. So in 2015, I got to go to St. Andrews, uh, which was very cool to have the induction ceremony ceremony there. In 2017, it was... Um, in New York around the president's cup. And so that was very appealing to me. And then I I, I knew tiger was going in soon. So I was hoping I'd be part of the tiger woods uh, celebration at that point before the rule got changed uh, where you have to be 50 to get in now. But nonetheless, I, um, I, it was an opportunity and it's something I don't regret. It's something that I continue to tell people, you know, if you feel like you're going in, in an uncomfortable path keep going and you got to stretch yourself and I didn't want to be one of those guys that just settled and and looked back years later and thought oh geez I had that opportunity but 
at least I get to work at TaylorMade still. I wanted to see what else is out there and um, jumping ahead here. Then the opportunity did eventually come to go work at the PGA Tour, which was a totally separate job than I had been doing, where now I, I handle internal and corporate communications. It's interesting, you know, you talk about the move to the PGA Tour, and that's one of those things, especially if you don't have to actually move, where an opportunity comes and you and you go at it. What was it like going from something where you're doing PR, where you're doing promotion, even planning events like at the Hall of Fame, to going internal, which is essentially what you're what you're doing now? Well, you know, when I was at TaylorMade, I I would work with Mark King and the executive team there on opportunities. I remember we did something with Mark King on HBO Real Sports, and I, I we did a big piece with Michael Bamberger at Sports Illustrated, and I really liked being the go-between to the executive team, and there's something about preparing and presenting yourself to uh, an executive team, including Mark King and messaging and, and practicing and preparing them for interviews. There's something about that that I really liked. Um, and so it was very comfortable for me to send all staff emails to communicate with employees. And essentially now I've traded the media to the, my media constituents to now my, the employees are my constituents and it's a role that I really am fond of. I don't get to work with great folks like you anymore as much as I used to. Uh, I certainly don't play as much golf as I used to because I am, as I tease, more of like the nine to five pencil pusher at the desk. Don't really travel a whole lot. Um, but no, I'm, my focus is around employee engagement and making sure a lot of the initiatives that we have internally are coming out in the forefront whether that be through newsletters or videos, uh, a lot of emails, do a lot of emails. Um, but no, it's been a very pleasant transition and something that I'm, I'm really thankful for. Well, and I, I kind of imagine that that's got to have a certain amount of fulfillment because you actually get the feedback. Like in, instead of sending blind out notes to media <laughs> where nothing comes back to you here, you're engaged in a process with everyone on both sides, sending and receiving. Yeah. And, you know, the thing when I moved to the PGA Tour, we uh, we didn't have an internal communications uh, discipline, I guess you could call it. Um, one of the smartest people that I've ever um, been around is Laura Neal, who is our senior vice president of communications. And she was doing a lot of the, the internal comms in addition to probably a zillion other jobs. So for her to say, listen, we need someone that's waking up and just thinking daily about employee engagement and how to be the bridge to our HR department and to help, you know, essentially help all of our departments um, draft emails, as, as silly as that sounds, but there's an art to it. And there's a way to communicate with people, especially a place like the PGA Tour, where you're dealing with as many as five different generations of employees so it was critical to have that discipline in place um and like i said it's been super fulfilling it's going on uh four years i think november of 2017 uh so going on just about is that yeah it is about four years november 2017 is when i started and uh it's been a great ride it's interesting that you talked early on about you know going on the course at riviera and kind of seeing what an event could be now, do you feel that way that you're reminded of that when those times that you do go out to an event, you're leaving the office that it's like, oh yeah, I actually work for 
the PGA Tour. Yeah, you know, I it's not lost on me. We get our annual credential um, dropped on our desk right around this time. And um, COVID happening, we're not all on the office right now, but I did stop in there recently and I got my credential and I, and I look at it and I, it, I literally hold it like a badge of honor. I'm like, this is really cool. I can go to any tournament I want and, you know, kind of meander around because I love golf and I'm a golf fan. And that's not to say that you must be a golfer to work at the PGA Tour. In fact, we're very proud of the fact that you could come from any background um, and, and still get a job at the PGA Tour. Sure, there's certain positions that lend itself to having a certain uh, familiarity and being able to speak the vernacular. But by and large, PGA Tour is a place that is welcome to all. But being that I am a golfer, I certainly appreciate going out to the range. And for me, uh, the Players' Championship, um, I actually had an opportunity to go out to the Boeing Classic last year in Seattle, uh, where I was pinch hitting and helping out to be a media official. And that was like, oh, okay, back to my roots, working with the media guys again. And uh, I have a lot of respect for the media officials, our shot link staff, our remote team, the rules officials, the guys that are out, guys and gals. They're out on the road uh, every week. It's a tremendous job, and it's a lot of work. And uh, so I, I got to taste that for a week, and which was a lot of fun. And you mentioned, I mean, you've mentioned it a couple times it's been an interesting year with COVID. Most people think, okay, COVID happened, businesses shut down, and you're just kind of, you go home and you're in limbo. But in your role especially, it had to be very unique because – you probably were as active as any other time because there was so much to be communicated from the top to everyone on tour. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, internal communications is probably one of the first places uh, that we needed to focus on. I remember getting a note from one of the heads of our company saying, what are we going to do to make employees feel engaged? Because you shut the offices down and you send people home to work you got to maintain, there can't be a disconnect. You can't have people feeling like they're, they're stuck on an island. So we put together a pretty comprehensive internal employee engagement strategy, uh, most of which would include Jay Mon Commissioner Jay Monahan uh, doing videos. And we would have uh, weekly updates from our HR team. We would try to have some fun. We started actually doing like what we're doing here. We would use... Um, Zoom chats. And for us, it was actually Microsoft Teams. And we would record different conversations with department heads and share that out. So it was super, super important that our employees knew what was going on. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it's, a lot of times we didn't know what was going on. I think that was what made it so unique um, with COVID is it's not like something that we could say, oh, okay, well, this is our, this is our 9-11 or this, we've seen this before. It this is something that we've never lived through. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, trying to be responsible and thoughtful and considerate in how we responded to employees. And I mean, we could spend a whole another hour talking about the subcommittees and the meetings that we have to talk about health and safety and how to ensure employees are feeling safe because it's a big deal. And, you know, working with uh, the CDC and understanding our local and state guidelines was was paramount for us to be able to lay out a plan that is still evolving. Um, I think if you ask the PGA Tour or any company for that matter, I think you would have said when the, we'll call it the shutdown started in March, we would have easily been back by the back to the office by now. And I think there was a story that came out yesterday that 
Microsoft is and some other companies are now targeting July of 2021 to go back. So it's just really unfathomable, unfathomable to see what COVID has meant. No one's been immune to it. It hasn't just been a Florida thing, hasn't been a California thing, a US thing. It's been a world, a global thing. And uh, so in that, I understand why we, we keep hearing we're all in this together, but we really are. And I feel like I'm thankful to be at the PGA Tour because they really did almost uh, were the pioneers of, of getting back into action. You know, a, a lot of places will give the UFC credit, which they, they were out there doing their thing and uh, maybe another sport. But the PGA Tour was pretty quick to get back at it, uh, granted without fans, but it was important for us to try to return and get some normalcy back as soon as possible. Well, I got to imagine that it was kind of uh, exciting to be able to send out the note to everyone that we're coming back, we're going to be back at Colonial. You know, that that there was the ability, I mean, you're the messenger. So to be able to share that message with so many people on the PGA Tour staff saying we are going to come back and this is when it's going to be. Yeah, and I think that was at a time, you know, when you also juxtapose, you have uh, folks dealing with, you know, family situations, whether that be caring for an elderly person, whether it be if they had COVID themselves or knew someone that had COVID or this whole distance learning with their children, it, it was a nice uh, reprieve to get that news that golf was coming back because I don't know about you, Ralph, but I, I kind of got tired of watching all the reruns and, <laughs> you know, Hey, the Texas USC 2005 national championship games on, Oh, okay. And Hey, we're going to show you this old baseball game or here's Tiger's old performance at the, you know, Zozo championship from that. It just was nice to get action back on. And I remember, I think it was, um, might've been like a women's UFC fight that was on, um, I was at uh, Atlantic beach country club, which is up the street here. And I was with someone and it was on and I, I turned and that's not my cup of tea to watch, you know, UFC women's fighting. But I remember thinking like, Oh, this is a live sport that's on right now. That's who would have thought? Well, <laughs> say, Korean so baseball. Korean baseball, exactly the same thing as people were excited just to have something on that was live. Exactly. We like to wrap up our talks here on the range by jumping into the Wayback Machine. So is there a club that jumps out at you as an all-time favorite? And second, is there maybe a promotion that you've done throughout your career that you think was just awesome? It, it just makes you smile to think how you pulled this one off and whether that was a club launch, something with the hall of fame, something even with the PGA tour. All right. So to the first question, I have two clubs. One would be the R9 460 driver, which is what Fred couples played forever. And I think that's the first driver that went straight for me. <laughs> I wasn't, uh, I wasn't hitting these big banana slices with. And so that was a club that I really enjoyed. Um, I also still have um, probably the longest club in my bag, longest as in longest tenure, would be an old Adams uh, XTD hybrid, um, titanium hybrid club. And it's a, it's a hybrid three. And on a good day, I mean, that thing is just 220 right on the nose and you know, whether it's a long par three, which I try to avoid playing the long par threes, but it's a long par three, or if I'm trying to get home in five, which, or I'm sorry, get home in two on a par five, which rarely happens. It's a nice club and it's a good trouble club. So I would say just that hybrid 
um, and my bag is one of my favorites. Uh, promotion. So there's a, there's a couple of them at TaylorMade. And for anyone who back in the day listened to me or might listen to this, they'll, they'll laugh. But we would call these culture bombs. And a definition of a culture bomb was something that made you think like, oh, my gosh, that was cool. I can't believe they just did that. And I, for us, the thing that, that jumps out to me was we erected this 90-foot R11 foul pole at Petco Park in San Diego. I don't know if you remember that, Ralph, but it was a way for us to activate with the San Diego Padres. And so the foul pole was literally a driver. And um, I think there was other companies. I think number two pencil had done that maybe in San Francisco. And I think there was something else, maybe like a Chick-fil-A um, over the years, but no, it was the right field foul pole was the R11 driver and all the way to see that thing fashion all the way to, uh, the top of the club and the grip. And then it would come down and you'd see the club you know, painted on the wall, but that was really fun. We did that with San Diego, with San Diego. And then probably if I could sneak one more in would be an activation we did also with, with the R11 driver out in New York. Um, this was out at a at a out at a golfsmith where we did like a New York City whiteout and we had Sergio Garcia and Martin Keimer who was number one in the world at the time and I forget what street we were on but we created a driving range out in the street in New York and people were coming in and it was all tied to um, the launch of of the R11 driver so had a really good time with that it was a whiteout the athletes were wearing all white I remember uh, funny enough Donald Trump showed up at that event obviously not as a as a president back then right. but just as a new york tycoon and kind of a who's who um and so i remember feeling like that was a pretty big event we had a lot of a lot of cameras out there which in the world of pr it's like where are the, where are the cameras <laughs> where was all the media and we had a ton of media and felt like that was a very great way to launch uh the r11 driver no, that's a perfect one because that's exactly the type of memories that I know there are people out there that, that remember probably seeing that, reading about it, and to know that, yeah, you're actually working on executing something like that. It, it was real. It wasn't just a, a newspaper article. Um, <laughs> Dave, it's always fun talking to you. It was great getting some unique views in the world of golf because you've had a unique perspective from your different roles kind of on the sidelines or behind the curtain. Um, and showing that there's lots of opportunities in this game for people that really have a love for golf and, you know, want to make an impact in the arena. So you've definitely done those things and I appreciate you for taking the time to join me. Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you out at the players, Ralph. If, um, COVID lightens up and we have fans at the players championship, which we intend to make sure you, uh, drop me a line. Love to love to host you out there. That sounds great. Dave, thank you again for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Ralph. That was Dave Cordero, the Director of Internal Communications for the PGA Tour, and I have to say that he and I have shared a lot of emails and phone calls over the years as new products were coming to market, and he was always a great partner to work with. And as you can see, he really loves the game of golf. Now before we go, the fall is here, and the weather is definitely changing. I know a lot of you are nearing the end of your golf season. For others, well, it's about to ramp into a higher gear. One area of innovation that I've seen in recent years is in outerwear capabilities and fashion. There was a recent uproar over the Audi Cross hoodie worn by Tyrrell Hatton when he won the BMW at Wentworth. A couple years back, puffer vests were making a statement. The point is there's always new, functional, and stylish options out there that work both on course and off. More often than not, they're a step forward in terms of both comfort and fit. 
So I recommend you go check out the new gear. You may find something that becomes a part of your cool weather golf game for years to come. If you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. For the latest on the range, follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments there as well. In fact, reach out to us anywhere. We'll take your questions. We'll definitely answer them. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. Anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, we have new shows dropping every Wednesday. Now that'll do it for this episode of The Range, so let's hit the course and enjoy the great fall weather. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.